Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at Hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. In order to receive a certain amount of blessings, there's a prerequisite or a precondition God has put upon us to accomplish or receive those things. We don't usually like to think about, you know, God's, you know, God's, you know, free giving, free love, blah, blah, blah. But that there actually are conditions he sets and the Torah portion covers them. And it covers actually not just here, there are multiple places in the Torah that it covers the prerequisites requirements. But uh, this just reiterates it multiple times from Moses. Now, to get all this stuff, it's going to cost you something. It's not quite just a, oh, here you go. It actually is a little bit of effort. And there's some effort on your part, uh, an effort on, uh, on his part, of course, as a blessing from them, or to, to give them to you, that is. Any comments or questions regarding this Torah portion? You know, it's caused the world to not believe that he could do that or he would do that. But you don't have to be perfect. I mean, he has, he has ways in there to, if you just cleave unto him, you don't have, you know, he has ways to forgive us for when we fall short. And it just seems like such a shame that we have wasted all that beautiful, wonderful bounty that he offered to us. It is. And, and I do note that this is a, um, these are not exclusively, but dominantly like either group, community, or national type blessings that they, he was dealing with here, um, as opposed to individuals. But nations or groups are are made up of individuals. It's a, it's a funny combination that even if one man was doing everything well, that doesn't necessarily affect or result in all the blessings you poured upon a nation. Uh, it might be nice that it happens, but if that was the case and one does something wrong, then all the bad things poured upon a nation. So you can't have it both ways. Well, so we this obviously starts out in Deuteronomy chapter 7, uh, verse, verse 12 and such. Uh, there's a few details that I like to go through in ex- exhaustive uh, description of what's happening here, but at least a partial. So uh, keep in mind that if you, were to, if you remember from last week, which Jeff had, had brought up, was that different Torah portions, or sorry, sorry different, different sections say, of Deuteronomy focus on different sets of commandments. So in this particular portion, the, 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 the Torah portion, it dominantly focuses on the first commandment. So mostly are thematically tied to the first commandment, which is... Uh, I will your God, you should know the God's before me. So that, that combined uh, uh, commandment. This is not necessarily tied, although it actually does, it does spill over into the second of ours, no molten images and such, because it addresses those topics too. So, those, that, so this Torah portion, and it goes a little bit further on afterward, covers that subject matter. So we're discussing these topics. Keep in, mind that, keep, keep in your mind that it's, we're talking about the first, basically first one or two commandments that this Torah portion is, is focused on. This portrait is not focused on the remaining commandments, the remaining eight-ish, it's, well, eight and a half, because it goes a little further than, than, than chapter 11 for the second commandment. But uh, it doesn't really cover so much of the other. So, so when we're discussing this idea in these Torah portion, this particular one, focus on the first commandment, the second commandment a bit on, on this subject matter. So if you want the blessings, the cursings come with, come with the other side, they're all based on identifying who your God is, 
that there is one that you're worshiping and don't confuse him with some other God or some other group, some other benefactor uh, that, that, that is, has blessed you. So in this instance, the first few verses there, verses uh, 12 to 16 or so, it says a big topic. Uh, so this is your reward. If you listen to these ordinances and observe and perform them as your God, God safeguarded you for you the covenant and kindness that he swore to your forefathers. So in, uh, in this, in this uh, uh, section, this Torah portion here, this is a reward we're discussing. He starts out with a reward. Reward for what? Well, mind you, we're discussing the topic of Ten Commandments. So when you're discussing commandment number one, I don't answer this question, but I ask you rhetorically, so we just think you said in your mind, what does it mean to say, uh, I am Lord your God, to know the gods before me? We have our image in our head what that looks like. Oh, well, I won't, I won't worship this or, or, or that thing. Or what. But what does that mean? What does it mean to worship or not worship? And what does God consider worship versus not worship? Is it just like crush yourself on the ground? Is that what he's discussing? It's finding his worship? Or is there more to that? Prostrating yourself on the ground is one component, but that's not the true full definition of worship. Because full definition of worship is more than just laying down. As we had learned, with the, uh, the, the, the prophet uh, Elisha and the skin guy, Naman. Naman points out, hey, I realize there's only one God, but uh, it's my job here to kneel down with my master who worships this, this, this idol. I don't think that I'm worshiping the idol. I'm just kneeling down because it's my job to do. Elisha said, just go in peace, go on. So Naman I recognized and Elisha recognized the kneeling down of an object that was not good. You shouldn't do it. That is not the definition or complete definition of what worship actually means. There's more to it. There's actually an acknowledgement of this thing is. In this case, God wants to find out, what do you worship me? What is it that you're doing? What is the actual act? So we, he's on, he's on, he is on an object we bow down to. So what is he? What does it mean to worship him? So identifying who he is and the nature of it. So in this case, it says when you, this is your reward. This is what you, this is what you receive under these certain conditions. Now, what are the conditions? This is verse twelve. What are the conditions you have to receive these rewards on? The blessing come with the condition. The condition is, you will hearken, listen to, and respond to the ordinances, the, the, the instructions. You shall observe and perform them. Yahweh, your God, will safeguard for you the covenant and the kindness they swore to your forefathers. So there is a requirement to receive these blessings. They are not just a handover gift for nothing. What, are the, what is the requirement? Listen to them. And observe and follow. That's your requirement. Then he asks, well, what about, what about, what about? Uh, you know, you know, salvation and, and, and salvation doesn't come through works. And blah, blah. We're not discussing salvation. We're discussing our God. We're discussing Him. And note that it is not necessarily wrong for people to focus their attention upon, you know, the, the next life. There's nothing wrong. It's, oh, well, the spiritual life is what matters. I focus my, my rewards in heaven. Those are good things. But mind you, that's not the only thing that exists. You and me, our flesh and blood, we still exist here too. And so we desire, want certain blessings for ourselves. 
while we're still alive. If we ignore those blessings, if we ignore those wants or those needs, that's necessarily evil, but it's not a good thing either. Those are good things to receive, to have. So we want those things too, the good blessings of this life as well. Well, this life has certain requirements for it. Um, it it's not necessarily bad to focus your attention upon uh, 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 the Messiah, but it's also not necessarily good to ignore the life that God has given you. That's part of your life too, part of your responsibilities. So these blessings, of course, are easy points that you will, you will are the, the, the ordinances, the observe them, perform them, yada, 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 go through all the stories. Um, that does not necessarily mean there are no difficulties. He's pointing out that there's, there's still be struggles and such. Uh, mind you, there's, uh, uh, if you have no difficulties, you become a soft, weak person. So you don't necessarily want no difficulties. If you have a soft, weak person, then more bad things happen and result you become part of your life becomes difficult. Uh, so you want to, there's a, there's a fine balance between being too soft and too hard. <laughs> so try to keep in mind that so God will not allow them too, too, too strong against you as far as the, uh, the difficulties, but he will not make them with difficulty free. And he points out quite clearly, as he says later on in this Torah portion, which he just spoke, and we'll get there in a minute, uh, regarding the, he will not expel the people all at once and your life be easy because then it won't work. Uh, you, the, the, the animals will come in and other problems will happen. It's incremental, incremental steps. So that's how he's going to work for, with all of us, with his people. So just accept that. That's how, it's, that, that's how he designed it to be. And it's a good positive thing. He believes verse 22 discusses that his assistance, his blessings come in measured increments. As he points out here, he will thrust these nations out for you little by little. So measured increments at a time. Uh, we can also discuss the same idea about the 10 plagues, that God gave the 10, 10 plagues. In measured increments, he did not hit all 10 plagues the same day. What good would that do? No one survives. So the idea is that you have measured increments. Here's a plague. You need time to respond. Here's a plague. Time to respond. Back and forth and back and forth. These are measured increments. In his corrections are measured, as you would want any father or mother to correct their children in measured increments, not with a sledgehammer. Uh, you don't want God to correct us or you with a sledgehammer. Measure, measured increments. The fly swatter is a lot easier to work with. Uh, it, it may hurt, but you can handle that. Such ever not so easily. So he's very kind in, in measured, measured increments because he knows us very, very well. We'll this a little bit quickly here. So in verse, uh, we're going to jump down to, let's see, verse... Now, Judge 8, verse 1. It says, This entire command that I command today, you shall observe to reform so that you may live and increase and come to possess the land you have us for to your forefathers. What command is he referring to? The entire command that I command you today. Now, mind you, Moses is essentially, over a period of multiple days, actually, he is reciting or giving out the entire book of Deuteronomy. So all of what he's referring to is that this entire command that I command you today, that's the entire book of Deuteronomy. We discussed earlier, previous week, that the book of Deuteronomy is the Ten Commandments in a nutshell. It's a, like an expanded form of it. The examples, how life works, when you can use them, how to apply them. That's the Temple of is focused upon. And you will note that most Western, meaning semi-religious nations who will start out with religious, religious nations, um, have a base of their law system on the Book of Deuteronomy. Now, it's not complete, of course, but it has elements of it they've extracted or used or components they use from it in order to base their laws on. So most nations recognize this is actually a positive book. It's a good thing to follow and it makes sense. Not the religious aspect of forestation, as they 
recite or, 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 or uh, not recite, don't uh, focus on that or require that, but they do have the basic laws instructed them, which is good. Uh, you will note that most people you will speak to are already following the Deuteronomy. There you do, Christian otherwise. Not in its entirety, mind you, but large portions of it. For example, we tend to focus on those who are even semi-religious at all, focus on the idea of there is a God, if, there, if they believe in one at all. We may argue, oh yeah, Christians think this, or Jews think that, or Muslims think this, blah, blah, blah. If they think there is something greater than humanity, that is a good thing. Now, what is the thing they think is greater? Hence, Deuteronomy focuses a lot of that effort on what is greater. And this course is your God is greater. These are not say these not say negative things; are good things to focus on things that are greater than you. That allows you to understand what is moral, what is not moral. But so these are all positive, positive things and positive activities for our families and for our nations. So verse one, as I read, as far as the entire commandment he's referring to is the entire commandment referring to the book of Deuteronomy itself, which of course centers around the Ten Commandments. So the entire commandment refers to all the Ten Commandments, and of course the entire book. So this is what he's commanding them to observe and to perform in order that you will live and increase and possess the land that you have asked for to your forefathers. I have a question for you. What land did he swear to you? He swore to you a promised land. It's not necessarily in Israel. What was a promised land? The kingdom of God. So this will rephrase that, shall we? This entire command I command you today, you shall observe to form so that you may live and increase and come to possess the kingdom of God that I swore to your forefathers. Did Messiah not say the kingdom of God is here when he was still alive 2,000 years ago? So clearly, this, this commandment, this, this idea of what you're increasing, what, the, what you're going to receive, is not isolated strictly to the physical property, the dirt that's located in the Middle East on the, uh, the, the eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea. We're not referring to that, that isolated alone, area alone because these promises that we observe, I don't live there, you don't live there, but we still yet try our best to observe what God, what his orders, what he commanded us to do. So those blessings we are anticipating or hoping to receive in whatever measured capacity God decides to measure them out or dole them out in, we still expect to receive them. So this, this commandment given to you today is applies to everyone, as most put out. It's not to just with, with you, it's, it's to the generations that have come as well, but you also ha- are the ones recipient of. These, these blessings, these increases depend upon us observing the entire command that I command you today to observe and to perform. Now note, I'm not referring to commandments being that, that you will have to do this in order to live, or to survive, that is. You can survive a lot of things, as we can see in our daily lives and in various nations and various cities that have amoral behavior. But so survival is not necessarily the requirement here. We're referring to live and increase and to come to possess what God has promised to our forefathers. And of course, he goes back to remind them of all the various things the last 40 years, of what they had gone through of the, of the past 40 years. So in verse 2, I'll point out next components to you. This is an important thing to focus upon or to think about because it's going to come up again in a few minutes from now. In verse 2, chapter 8, it says, You shall remember the entire road in which Jehovah your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness as to afflict you, to test you, to know what is in your heart, whether you would observe his commandments or not. Now we look at this and say, well, well God isn't one who tests us. He's, he's, not, a, he's not that kind of person. 
Does it put trials in front of us? And really? He leads you to things. Did he not lead the Israelites to the wilderness? He led them too. Did not go to places where there was no water? Did God not realize there was no water there? Yeah, there are tests. He does test us. He does require things of us to find out of what we are made of. Note, it's not to say that what God needs to find out what we're made of. We have to find out too. We have to know what is in our heart. We talk a big talk. We have words we use. When push comes to shove, when you're in a corner, what do you actually do? What are we actually made of? How do I actually respond? I may say this, or I'll do that. I, I, like, I would like to think I would do this. Those are words. Words don't mean very much. Actions matter. As Hannah had pointed out, the mother of Samuel, in God's world, actions matter, not your words. So actions matter. What do you actually do? How do I actually respond? How do I actually follow? What am I actually made of? So his point was to find out to, t- to afflict us, to t- or test, well, I'll explain us, because I actually like the term us. To afflict us the will this, to test us, to know what is in our heart, whether we would observe his commandments or not. So we go through trials, temptations, issues, struggles, blah, 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 fill in the blank. What's the objective? To test us, to find out what's in our heart, whether we will follow and observe his commandments or not. That's not always easy, as we have all lived our lives and come across. It does happen. It has issues. But that's our job, to test it, to find out. This part happened in verse 3. It says, he afflicted you and let you hunger. Then he fed you with the manna that you did not know, nor did your forefathers know, in order to make you know that not by bread alone does man live, rather by everything that emanates from the mouth of God does man live. This is a great verse that Messiah himself, of course, Marie quotes to, to the adversary at his time, to time of temptation. I uh, regard the, 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 he's not live by bread, but it, the mouth of God. So it's actually quite fascinating that if you, if you do these parallels, you can see quite clearly that uh, Messiah is to Hasatan as the people are to God. Funny, huh? <laughs> so a Messiah and the adversary, the adversary is testing Messiah and the people and God uh, God was testing the people. Actually, you know, God and the adversary are not necessarily always separate. <laughs> I'm not saying strange, which to say that, but in that the objective and the tools used are actually the same tools. Uh, keep in mind who created the adversary. Uh, who gives the adversary permission to do certain things? Well, the creator of all things does because he's the one who gave it to him. So it's funny to think about, but Reality is that sometimes God is our adversary. Not his own adversary, but our adversary against us. He actually says that. I'm against you. <laughs> yes, he says that a couple of times, actually. Um, he can be our personal hostile, our personal Satan, so to speak. And that he can test us and push us and be against us and what we want to do. And find out what we're actually made of. It sounds funny, sounds strange, but reality is he even said he was, so it makes sense. Uh, 
So we have this Messiah is being tested with the hungry bread, or he was hungry, he, the bread's hungry. He was hungry for bread. So I'm being tested by the adversary the same way that the people were tested by God. And of course, God obviously gave them the manna, which, which based on this concept, this testing here, it would, I would no doubt that the adversary could have done most, not all, of what he promised to Messiah in this flesh and blood life, that is, as far as the various gifts, I'll give you this, this city or whatever. All the other things that the Messiah was tested with, uh, else he couldn't give it to him. So anyhow, so there's interesting uh, parallels, but to, to know that uh, there are times which God is your own adversary. And honestly, we can be our own adversary as well. As Apostle Paul pointed out, that our fleshes are also our own adversary. So you can have multiple adversaries, multiple Satans. They're not isolated to a particular being that we... Uh, is it a pun to call it demonizing him? I'm not sure anyway. <laughs> a particular being... That, that, that we identify as being, oh, it's the devil, it's the Satan. Well, there are a whole bunch of them. There's all over us. We're inside of us, outside of us, our neighbors, our friends, our family. They're all adversaries. Our own flesh is adversary. Everything's, an av- everything's a demon to, to us. It's all the same. It's a test of what are you made of? What did God make in you? And what, instead of your words, what do you actually do? Your actions is what count. So, and I breathe the actions what count because a lot of this Torah portion focuses heavily upon shocking of all shocks, our actions. So our actions are what's being measured and being weighed. Note, as Hannah pointed out, words are words, but actions matter. Actions where God counts. So when we discuss, oh, does God, am I doing right by God? Am I, am I doing what he commanded me to do? Or is he, what he likes or wants of me? Am I following the right path? Blah, blah, blah. Anything else you can fill in the blank? Uh, those are all measured by actions. How do I know? Well, what are my actions list? Oh, am I actually following this? Or am I following my own list over here that have nothing to do with the list that God gave? So I, they are still based upon my actions. They're being measured by them. Hence, God using that as a measuring tool against us or for us, depending on which means how, it, how, it, how it pans out. So actions do, in fact, matter quite heavily to him. That's his measurement tool. Uh, we have, when you go looking for God and say, okay, it's your judgment day, so to speak. Well, what does he have? A book. <laughs> What's in the book? Everything you ever did or didn't do. What are those defined as? They aren't feelings. They aren't thoughts necessarily. They might be thoughts there too. I don't know. They're actions. They're actions. What's written in the book are, oh, look, on the 21st of May in uh, 2007, so-and-so did such such to you, and then you responded this way. They're actually they're things, they're actual events in our lives. So they're written down. Okay, what do we do when we not do? So actions matter to him quite heavily. Uh, James, Apostle James, the same, this is the same thing. Actions matter. So we go through here. Uh, so of course, obviously, most points out, you know, you, God blessed you this whole time during this testing period about your clothing and such and yada, yada, yada. Uh, we go through all of them necessarily. And go and jump, jump down to verse... Uh, all right so he's going to list all these plate that this plate this led you to go to these great blessings verse 10 after trade you will eat and you'll be satisfied and bless Jehovah your god for the good land he gave you so as i mentioned before this portion of deuteronomy is focused on the first two commandments essentially about the topics the topic is i'm lord your god should know the gods before me and no molten images and worshiping things objects and such so based on those two concepts, those two, two commandments, when we 
acknowledge who is our God and own before him, before him. He points here's here is an example of when you eat, when you're satisfied, and you're blessed is great when the, the all things you have and the great things God's blessed you with. What do you do? Acknowledge him. So task, one of the various tasks, various men, notes of worship, know the God before before him is to acknowledge him, to identify him. He is one who did this. And that we say this in my family, at least it'll be probably the same thing. We say these blessings and such out loud with our words, our mouths. Not that the mouths, the words is the thing that the value, but it acknowledges to anybody within earshot, like our children or our spouse or other family members or friends or wherever, that we are acknowledging our one God. And yes, I do realize it gets embarrassing. What is the quote by quote unquote uh, when doing so in a, a restaurant? But so what? Who cares? Was it embarrassed? Was it embarrassed for what? Did he not also supply the same food that that restaurant has given to you? Did not those things still grow? <laughs> Did he not bless that which grows? So it doesn't really matter. What the, the point is to acknowledge where it comes from and not be ashamed by it. Whether it is to your children, your family, or parents, or atheists, this, or that person, or whatever, it's still acknowledging it. Uh, that that is your God. So we're identifying God, acknowledge that he is the one who is responsible for these things we're receiving, not anything else. And of course, then he of course, he obviously gives the warning they don't forget to do so. And verse uh, 11, take care that you forget your God and not observe his commandments, or his decrees, which I command you today. They should be eaten, satisfied, and build a good house. And all the, you have to go through a whole thing. We already read it once already. As if did all this great stuff I have myself, I paid for the meal, I worked really hard for it, uh, we bought this, I cooked it, blah, blah, blah. It's not about me. It's about the one who gave it to me to start with. Um, to give an example of this, uh, this, is how I, this is how I try to explain it to my children or people who, who don't quite necessarily follow the suit on this, is that, uh, for example, acknowledging it is, uh, acknowledging it's not just acknowledging that you received it, but also acknowledge you didn't necessarily deserve it. There's a component as far as the deserving component. You may, may not deserve what you have, but you still have it. God bless you for it. Anyway, um, in, in the case of, of uh, uh, a precondition, so there's preconditions for these blessings that God has given to us. And there's there's an example I use typically for this application of preconditions. For example, so let's pretend, envision yourself, you went to the grocery store. Uh, you bought well, groceries the week. You fill in what you want, vegetables, fruit, meat, whatever you want to buy. Uh, whatever you have, happen to have. Now, there are preconditions for that grocery store. So for example, um, let's pretend you're at the grocery store and you use a debit card. It's, it comes in your bank account, so it's, it's kind of like cash. You can argue it's not, but it's very similar. De- debit cards are not like credit cards. Debit cards are like cash in that capacity. So there is a precondition on this debit card. What's the precondition? That there's money in the account. So, if I don't have money in the account, I use my debit card and, oh, look, it's overdrawn. And do they give you the vegetables and the fruits and the groceries anyway? Well, if you run really, really fast, you could, but that's <laughs> the case. <laughs> you might have having to be stuck to, have, to, to, to leave them there because you have no money. So, in order to receive the blessing of the grocery store, you have to have a precondition. What's precondition? Money in your debit card account. 
If you don't, guess what? You get to borrow it, called a credit card or some other means of giving it. And that, you, don't actually have, you didn't meet the precondition. You didn't meet the precondition in order to get what you want. So the idea is that if you don't meet the precondition, the pre-requirement of money in the account, then the debit card is not going to get you the groceries. It won't work because it's empty. Um, yeah, unless you have a credit card type of, type of system. So the source of, 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 the, of the groceries, the, it's, not, it's, not, it's not the money itself was the source of groceries, but the, source, the money itself was required to get the groceries. So for example, so I want blessings from God. God is the source of my blessings, but obedience to his instructions is his preconditions. Like my obedience is equivalent to money in my bank account. But God, the grocery store owner, <laughs> says, here's your groceries that you want. If I don't meet his precondition, which is money in my bank account, he's not going to give me those groceries. He keeps them. So I'm sorry, try again. Go meet my preconditions first, and then we'll, then we'll have this exchange. We can make this thing work. So preconditions are basis, and I view them, at least how it's a simple, simpleton viewpoint, but I view them as that way because it, it, the, the analogy fairly works. And if for some reason you have no money in the bank account, which means you are not following God, his obedience in any form, you do have to use a credit card. Now you're in debt. Bummer. Now you owe something. And you pay for it later. So you may, God may bless you, though you, diso- you were disobedient to him. He may bless you, but guess what? Don't be surprised if he requires it from you later. Anyhow. So I happen to like that, that particular uh, analogy. It's just my personal one that I use because it makes sense in my head. Let's move on. So we were going to go through most of chapter nine. We, we read it pretty thoroughly there. Uh, nine dominantly is obviously a recitation of, uh, of the various events that took place. I will put out a few details of, for you in chapter nine. Uh, is that I believe it was I think Larry has spoken earlier regarding uh, uh, the uh, clinging and the clinging to God. So in clinging to God. Uh, it requires also us not clinging to the things that are not of him. So in this instance, we have obviously the example of the exodus, the tribulation, the various testing we do, and the stiff-neckedness and the, and the repeated rebellious, rebelliousness that God has gone through, uh, and, and the desire to destroy people because they keep forgetting what to, to follow what is fair and just. So when you're following God, there's, there's rules or there's regulations that go along with it, and that uh, you may be you know, obedient to him as best you can, but if you're disobedient to him equally as so, then what good was that? You might as well not have been obedient to begin with if you choose to be disobedient. So, of course, he goes to this whole, the whole spiel in chapter 9 regarding uh, the various events and the cross the Jordan and, and everything else. Uh, and reiteration. So, I'm going to go through chapter 9 pretty much. Unless you have a question, chapter 9, I won't go through it uh, again. It's a recitation of most of the various events that took place. Regarding the smash Ten Commandments and, and such. Chapter 10. Chapter 10. All right, so there's a few details here. There is a, an example cited here, and this is Judaism jumps on this. I won't say the right or wrong, but I'll bring it out to you just in case, in case you're not quite clear on it. Uh, chapter 10, the first few verses there, it points out that uh, it says, Yehovah says to me, carve yourself two stone tablets, is verse 1. Like the first ones, ascend to me the mountain, make a wooden ark for yourself, and I will describe the tablets. Sorry, I will describe the tablets. The words were on the first tablets that you smash, and you shall place in the ark. So this is commonly believed and taught in Judaism. I won't say the right. Just tell me, believed and taught. 
that uh, this ark, this wooden ark this, that Moses had to make is independent or a separate ark, a, a first or earlier prototype, so to speak, of the ark that is laid in gold and such described later. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that's true. It's just what is currently actively taught in Judaism. Um, however, in this instance, uh, you could argue it is or isn't. Mind you, the real ark is immediately starts being made shortly after Moses returns to the mountain. The real ark being the one labeled, laid, laid in gold and such. Uh, that ark is, is officially finished at some point in time before the end of the first year. So they, they have this whole process. They're going through this. They make, they make it. So you could debate whether or not Moses pre-made an initial one. Or whether he, whether you believe it was, he just held on to them for a period of time. I mean, maybe they shut this tent like that for a while. Maybe he slept on them. I don't know. Um, for, for hard bed, but <laughs> still a rock bed. Um, over some some period of time, just be aware of that. But you ever hear the term of the second arc or the first arc versus the second arc? If it ever comes up in your readings or your or, or arguments or discussions, that's because in Judaism they teach there are two arcs, not one. Uh, being so first one being the one that, that that Moses had made, the second one, of course, being the one that was laid in gold with all the 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 uh, the Israelites were participants of. So the, every question about that, that's where it's taught, where it comes from, is from this this section, this verse. Uh, let's see here, and uh, then we jump to uh, an interjection. Uh, this is note: Moses is reciting this. He's a relatively old man. He's about roughly 120 years old. I'm not sure his exact birth date about 120 years old uh, when he's reciting this. And he goes through the parenthetical statement of verse uh, 6 and 7 that referring to a place they go to that Aaron dies. Aaron doesn't die the first time there. He's going through the sequence of places, like place to place to place to place to place. When he cites the place Aaron dies, he says, oh yeah, Aaron died here, but that's not the first time they went. The first time they went is when the Levites became the, the children of, the, sorry, the Benite Israel was delineated from Levi. And Levi became the ones who were in charge of the Ark of the Covenant and, and all the tabernacle and things of that nature. That's in that place. But they, they're 40 years later, roughly, they return to the same place as an Aaron dies. So the same location, two different visits. So verse six and seven is the first, sorry, referred to the second visit when Aaron dies there. Those are the first one. I, it may be confusing, but it's, it's relatively minor details. What do I jump to the point that I think is more interesting and I want to spend a little time on uh, this afternoon? I won't spend too much time because this shouldn't take very long to go through. Is verse 12, chapter 10, uh, verse 12 to 13. Now, O Israel, what does Jehovah your God ask of you? Only to fear Jehovah your God, to go in all his ways, and to love him, to serve Jehovah your God with all your heart, with all your soul to observe the commandments of Jehovah and his decrees, which I command you today, for your benefit. This statement, to uh, this verse in particular, uh, to fear and to follow him and love him, to serve him, all your heart and your soul, is repeated many, many times in our Torah. And note, when you're looking at the Torah, they don't have exclamation marks. They use repetition. Something's important. Uh, it's very, very vital to, 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 to accentuate. They don't underline it with bold print. They just repeat the phrase over and over again. So in the case of our God, he repeats this phrase over and over again throughout the Torah, multiple times. So many times, in fact, it's, you, can, you almost recite it by, by heart. <laughs> uh, Messiah, of course, reiterates the same or a variation, the same phrase later on. So 
that this 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 is an important concept to remember that God's dominant focus, apparently, since he repeats this phrase so frequently, is that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. That's the most common common phrase that it's repeated. We have to ask ourselves, what on earth does that mean? We're not talking about feelings. <laughs> What does it mean? Because note, God is a God of actions, of words. No, I'm sorry, words, sorry, of actions. Not, not what we say, but what we do. So I say, I love God with all my heart. Okay. What does that mean? Well, I felt like it today. And my heart was, was it pitter-patter, 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 because I love him? That's nothing. It doesn't mean anything. I'm not saying it's worthless. It's not, it's not the value that God's citing here. Note, very little does he ever say, you should feel good about me. Please find that phrase. God wants you to feel good about him. If you find it, let me know. I'd really like to see. I'd like to read that one. Feel, he doesn't like complainers. You're right. He doesn't like complainers. That's true. But the feel good about God is not the point. That's not the definition of loving him with your heart. Or loving him with your soul. My spirit is feeling, I don't know. It's not about feeling. <laughs> I can't know how to describe a soul. Um, in the form of your, your soul is your, your animation, what you do. How you move that is. It's soul is how you move your breath. So it's not about your feelings. It's about, as he points out, what you do. It's our actions. Um, I brought this up many, many years ago, uh, probably 10 or more years now, uh, about a gentleman I, was, I had a conversation with that to, who, who had, uh, it was a hypothetical conversation. It wasn't, he was not arguing this point. It was hypothetical between the two of us. We we're discussing this topic about. Uh, not following the, ten, the Torah, the Ten Commandments, or, or most of the Torah, that, that is, unless it was listed, repeated, that is, the New Testament only. Only that section we be done, nothing else. All kind of, he, he was arguing the hypothetical delineation, or separation, say, um, which is not a, 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 a biblical concept, but it is a common idea in, in, in Christianity in particular. So the separation of it. And I asked him, okay, this is great. So I'll, I'll love God with a heart, mind, soul, body, all the various lists. And I asked him, okay, so without using the anything prior to Matthew chapter one, all the old stuff, without using any of that stuff, please give me the list of how I love God with my heart and write it all down. And then, because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a simple person, I'm a simple, I really am a simple person. Truly am. And then, and then and after they do with the list of the heart, I want another list that tells me how to love him with all my soul. And obviously, the two lists, because God wouldn't say they aren't separate unless they were separate. So, the two different things. Note, you can't use uh, anything prior to Matthew chapter one. And then I want a list of how I love him with all my mind. Again, you can't use anything from chapter one or no repetitions. I'm like, no, no cheating. Oh, I'll write down once. And it's good. No, no cheating. It's a separate list of all of them. God delineated them out. Therefore, they are separate. And of course, obviously, the last one was my action, my strength. How to live with all my strength. Nothing used prior to chapter one. And the problem is, you really can't. So I can love in my heart and soul, and, but without being able to use something prior to Matthew chapter one, you can't successfully do it. Because I actually told him, I want a list. Give me the instructions. Torah is not law. Torah is instruction. It's how to do things. Uh, the law is a, is, is a small portion of the don't do this, don't do that. But reality, the Torah is how to do everything, how to live in every way, in every capacity of a situation. Uh, obviously, you have rulings come later, but the point is that the Torah itself is encompassing of all these things. So give me a list of, of how to do all these tasks, loving God with my heart, mind, uh, soul, and, 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 and 
think it's strength was the last one. I may have the order incorrect. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, without using the instructions God gave me to do, because the instructions are sitting right here. I just read them. They're right here. His instructions. They're pretty simple. Very basic on how, they, how, how, how to operate. Uh, they're how, how, he, how he wants, how he measures, measures done by. So you should love him in all in, in these ways, your heart, your heart and soul in this list. So he lists again in uh, chapter 11, verse 1. He repeats it in another phrase uh, or similar ways. Uh, so it, it's an instruction on how to do this stuff. And he points out here, to observe his commandments and decrees I command you today for your benefit. That's how he does it. You, the heart, your heart and soul, you want to know how it's done? Lovely heart and soul, you, but in order to do that, you observe the commandments that you provide your God, which decrease you for your benefit. That's how it's done. Pretty simple. That's the instructions. Nothing complicated about it. This is, what, this is how he wants us to live. This is called choosing life as opposed to choosing death. Let's jump forward a little further. Uh, the things which he owns, verse, four, or verse 14. And behold, to Yahweh your God are the heavens, the highest heavens, and the earth and everything that is in it. Only your forefathers did Yahweh cherish to love them and choose their offspring at them, which is you, from among all the peoples as this day. You should cut away the barrier in your heart, no longer be stiff, no longer stiff in your neck. You have your God, he is the God of powers and Lord of lords, and great mighty and awesome God who does not show favor, does not accept bribe. So in this instance, we, God, obviously he owns us and he expects us to essentially act like him. So in, 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 this, in this manner of loving him, he is spending his time and effort on us. We spend our time and effort on him. But let's jump through this a little bit further because if I want to own or fart, if I want to love God with my heart and mind as his instruction was, his commandments, his decrees, and he commands me today, what are they? Give me the list. Oh, simple. Uh, let's jump to uh, the character traits that he's expecting of us. Let's jump to verse uh, 18. You want the list of what God does? Yeah. List number one, top top priority list. Does anyone be like God? Does anyone love God with your heart and mind, soul, body, strength? Here it is. Verse 18. He, because we're supposed to emanate him, we're to be like God. He carries out judgment of orphan and widow. Stop. He carries out judgments, the orphan and the widow. So how do I go with my heart and my, and my soul? Mimic him. What do I do? Carry out the judgment of the orphan and the widow. Continue says, he loves the proselyte to give, bread, give him bread and garment. Stop. What else was he, else he expecting of me? He expects me to love the proselyte, to give him bread and garment. Again, actions matter. Actions matter. Verse 19, you shall love the proselyte for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. What's my instruction then? Stop. I have to love the proselyte and to remember that I was a stranger too. I was once like them. You shall, you, Jehovah your God, shall you fear? Stop. What's my instruction? Fear him. So I have these tasks. I'm going to jump back a little bit. He says, 
uh, I have to care, judge for orphan and widow, just like he does. Treat people the, the proper way he wants them treated because he's treating them that way. Love the proselyte and give him bread and garment, give him clothing, make sure he's taken care of. That's important. Um, I was once like them, and I shall fear my God. Him you shall serve to this verse uh, twenty. You shall serve to him shall you cleave, grab a hold of, and in his name shall you swear. He is your praise, your God, who who did for you these great and awesome things that your eyes saw. Stop. He did all these things to you. He judged your orphans. He judged judgment for your widows. He loved you as proselytes. He gave you bread, manna. He gave you clothing. As most points out, your clothing never wore out for 40 years when you're traveling through the wilderness. You should love because you were like them. We've run across this before. You think of the common, the most, the most, most, most commonly quoted phrase that probably ever has been in Christianity? Judaism too. Uh, Judaism phrases it differently, but it's do unto others, you have them do unto you. Love your neighbors yourself. You know, this is not, you know, shocking stuff here. Pretty basic. I'm going to pause a little bit here on verse uh, 20. Just go back a little bit. It says, in his name, you shall swear. That is not necessarily a phrase that means you must always swear in his name. If you're going to swear, <laughs> you don't get to swear upon, you know, the stars, the moon, the rock, the forever, Gibraltar, any other thing you can think of. It's, if you're going to swear on something, it must be him alone. Because the only thing he has, he, he controls everything. I'm not saying, I'm not advocating swearing in his name. The point is, he is limiting. You don't swear in anything else because nothing else is there to worth swearing. It's, it's him alone. That's, that's all the phrase he's I'm not referring you're an advocate of the say swearing at all in, in, any, in any capacity. But if you do so, that's the phrase that says his instructions. He actually instructs that multiple times. That's the only place he lists it. Yeah, yes, it's a binding agreement. It's, it, it's, that's a good way to put it. it. It's binding, my wife put it, it's binding agreement. So you agree to do something and if using God as your witness to, to agree to do it, you sure better carry it out. You don't want the consequences. Uh, let's see, we jump down. Let's continue on. So, and it, now, now, chapter 11, verse 1. This is a continuation of the instruction of loving God. There's, I like this portion because this is probably the most, uh, what's the right word? The most interesting one for me. Uh, verse uh, 11, verse 1 says, You shall love the Lord your God, and you shall safeguard his charge, his decrees, his ordinances, his commandments all the days. So, in order to love my God, he's given me all these instructions, right? I have to carry out his judgments, orphan and widow, just like he does, I'm just going to mimic him. So love the proselyte, give him bread and garments as he, as he's, as he needs. And remember that the proselyte, you were once like them. I should fear him and to serve him, to cleave on to him in his name. And, jump down to verse, love verse one, uh, you shall safeguard his charge, his decrees, his ordinances, his commandments all of his days. All of our days, sorry, all the days. This is all, all of the days or all days that, that you exist. So your whole life. We discussed the Torah actually covers quite extensively his decrees, ordinances, and commandments. We discussed last year the concept of his charge. Who is his charge? Who They are the poor, the fatherless, the widow. 
that's that's what his charge is. He 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 explains to it in multiple places throughout the Torah that his charge refers to those who are poor, fatherless, and widow. Those are his charge. Those who he takes care of it and, and, and assists or, or provides for. That, that is our instruction. That's a core fundamental instruction. And the instruction is not to follow the instruction that he's given us here is this I mentioned before, this is not focused on all the Ten Commandments. We are focused strictly on commandment number one and two. So if I want to say, He is my Lord, my God. I'll hold no other gods before him. How do I do that? You carry out the judgment of the orphan, the widow. I love the proselyte to give him bread and garments. I love the proselyte because I was once a proselyte before. I will fear him and serve him, cleave to him all of his, all my days. I will serve by his name only. I will love my God and I will safeguard his charge, decrees, ordinance, commandments all of my days. Good job. Commandment number one, check mark. So we wish to obey commandment number one. There it is. Obey commandment number one. It's a lot in it, isn't it? That it's that in and of itself would take a lifetime. Yep. <laughs> what else are you gonna go do? <laughs> This is your life. He gave it to you. So what else are you going to do? Obey your life. Here it is. Enjoy it. So these, these are, these are the, the basic principles we're discussing, obviously, commandment number one and, and part number two. Because as far as he mentioned before about, uh, you know, don't, don't think that others are, other gods are of value to you. So these are important components. Uh, loving him is not a feeling. It is an action. These are how his actions work. He measures by actions, what we actually do. Not necessarily what we feel or think or in our hearts and our in our in our, our, our desires. It's how we act, how we use that information. He gave us to be like him, so act like him. Pretty straightforward, but that's how the process works. Now, if it's good to you on in chapter uh, chapter eleven. Uh, so obviously discusses that we, we already read this earlier about uh, it's not about it's your children, but it's with you. I mean, each one of you that are experiencing this event, this event, these events, this lifestyle the experience he has given to you in your own personal life. You go back to your own history, your own memory. You know what you've lived, you know what you've done, you know where you've, where you've been, uh, what, you, what you liked, what you didn't like, things you screwed up with, things you did well. You know all that stuff. So you know what, what God has put you through and what you put yourself through and what you succeeded in doing, what you failed at doing. You know all that. That's a good thing. But you know, you, knowing that, we obviously have to learn from it. As he points out in chapter 99, which you didn't cover, all the screw-ups they did, you learn from those mistakes in order to improve. Hold on. I have a... Homework for the week. Good luck, Daniel. <laughs> so the challenge, you point out the challenge to, uh, to, uh, to love others in that capacity with heart and soul. So, uh, in... This, this is a good homework lesson if you, if you wish to study it yourself. Uh, and how, how don't I love the question? It's all my soul. This is my homework for the week. Yeah, so we'll be thank you homework for the week. There's a, there's a whole bunch of things within inside of our Torah that are all centered around this idea about loving your heart, your soul, your, your, your mind, and your, and your actions. Um, when we discuss these terms, mind you, don't think of them in our Greek European mindset. 
Think of them in a Jewish mindset. What is a Jewish heart? Okay. What is a Jewish soul? What is a Jewish mind? What is a Jewish action or breath or your, what, you, what, you, how, how, what you work with? So and keep in mind when I'm referring to these statements, uh, they, I'm referring to the, the, the Jewish definition of them, not necessarily the Greek definition of them. So in the case of your heart, uh, in the case of the Jewish philosophy of heart is actually where your, your desire is. It's your desires. And that's your heart definition of what you desire. And that's how the concept, the concept of heart is. And the, we're referring to biblical Jewish, right? Not, not necessarily modern day. Modern day is, I don't know what it is. But biblical Jewish, your heart is your desire. Your mind is obviously what you think or how you, how you perceive things or understand them, your comprehension, how you comprehend stuff. And uh, your soul is your animation, your ability to move, like breathe. <sighs> what makes you alive, your life, your, your existence, what makes you, you know, animate, move around, do stuff. That's your soul. Uh, it's also known as your nefesh, your breath, your air. That's your soul. And then, of course, obviously, your action strength, which is what you physically do, the results of what you do. Not referring necessarily to the methods which you do them. Your strength is defined as the end result. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I may have a great. Was that? Was it? What's that? What's that, uh, that old phrase. Um, the I, I'm gonna I'm gonna mess it up. About the the um, good intention, good intentions, and lead the road to hell. I, it's something like that. That always always is led with good intentions. No, it's your end result that actually matters. Mind you, if you have a chair that breaks it down, what good is the chair? It broke. Uh, yes, Daniel, go ahead. So, I, you know, all, every single book tells us to remember, yes. right? And so for me personally, you know, going back to these lists, it, it's a way that I can see, put a mirror to myself in black and white. You know, the things, I, I know I come up short. We all but, you know, to, to actually write them down drives the point home. It's like, yeah, so what am I going to do with it? Now that I have this data, what am I going to do with it? Just I forget about it. And, but he, I can't because he keeps telling me to remember, remember, remember. Um, so thank you. I just wanted to thank sure. you. That's good. It's good to, to, to know that because in, intellectually reading what the Torah says and just knowing what it says is really not all that beneficial. I mean, it's useful, don't be wrong, but it's that, if I don't apply it, I don't know how to apply it. It's just information running around in my head. I can, actually, I really can't recite scripture by verbatim via memory. My, my, my mind's not that good, but some people are. Um, it, running around your head isn't all that useful. When you know how to apply it is where it actually becomes useful. And as we learned from the prophets and from the apostles, the application is what you're measured by, not your knowledge of. So knowledge of the Torah is important. The application of it is what you're measured with. So when God's going to be measured with your application, how do I apply these things? How do I apply them with my heart, my desire? Well, how, desiring God, if I desire God, but what does that mean? Well, their actions, not just feelings, is actions. So my desire of God is I desire to cling to him. Then what do I want to do? I want to be like God. I want my actions to show someone else, you know, Joe Schmoon over there, to encourage him to cling to my God. How do my actions, my desires, affect his desires, his actions, 
to cling to our God. So that has to do with, with how I treat someone else and how I express my desire. It, it, imagine for a moment you, when you were first courting your wife. You desired her. You wanted her. You, you were interested in her. You, you, you spoke to her about her and, and she was on your mind at the time. It, it was your desire, right? Well, guess what? <laughs> imagine courting your God. Same idea. He's on your mind. He's on your thoughts. He's on. He's, he's your. He's, your intense desire is built inside you. And when you were desiring your wife, are you going to treat her well? This part, part of your marriage, of course. How do you treat her? How do you consider her? What is your What does your desire affect you? How does it affect your behavior and your intensity? Because desire generally is 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 categorized in Judaism as the intensity of what you are wanting. So your intenseness on this. That's usually how they use a form of loving God with your heart. It's your intensity on your desire for him. And that affects your behavior. It affects what you say. It affects how you think. It affects your daily life. It's always on. And that's part of your desire. That's just one component. There's differences more to than just that. Yes, Daniel. So, so we're experts at fooling ourselves. Oh, we're really good at that. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking that, uh, yeah, all is well, I'm okay with God, you know, there's forgiveness and, you know, whatever, whatever it is, and we get satisfied with just kind of coasting, you know, and, and to go back again, for me, when I write something down, I put it in black and white, it's before my face, the reality, you know, I, I'm... <laughs> hopefully chasing away the mist and the fog that blinds me at times, you know, by, by going through those exercises and remembering, um, I don't trust myself. I, I just, you know, I've got to go through these exercises to keep on track or at least to make an attempt to keep on track and talk to other people like yourselves to help me keep on track. Um, you're not alone. We all require that. I know. God designed the Torah to not be a singular thing of a single individual or household. It's a, it's a community. He wrote it, he wrote it as such. So we do require that. So there's, my wife had made um, empty peanut shells. It's a, it's a story that, that, that her dad read to our kids about someone who, uh, someone who uh, prays or talks to God and goes to motions, doesn't think they're supposed to do great. No, hi. And then you continue going through the motion. Yeah, I'm good with them. But it's like eating empty peanut shells. So you do the outside right, but you crack them open. It's empty inside. What good was that? We don't eat peanuts. But the point is that the empty shell, you just have a shell. Well, there's, there's, you did all the work, but there's nothing actually in it. There's no fruit from it. It's empty. It's shallow. For me, I, my opinion is, if you're just always talking to God... And never listening. <laughs> same thing as an empty peanut shell. It is <laughs> right. Yeah, you're, 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 yeah, exactly. Ecclesiastes chapter five. Ecclesiastes five. I don't. I don't think I have that up marked. Can you read that out loud, Jeff? Jeff you got it. Because it took you a while to find it. No, it was just uh, from memory about there when you're in the house of God. You know, listen more than you speak. Oh, oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, don't be rash with your mouth, your heart, yeah, the heart not be hasty to utter a word for God. For God's in heaven and you are on earth. Let your words be few, for a dream comes to much concern and foolish talk from many words. Amen. 
So obviously that's not the uh, memory verse for talk radio. <laughs> Probably not. Philippians <laughs> uh, says, be quick to uh, listen, you know, and slow to speak, slow to anger. Right. right. So, yeah. So, so we were discussing the, the, the loving with your heart. There's a lot of intensity with that heart. And, and, and with that intensity comes the compassion side too. So if I, for example, have the loving God with my heart and he points out, take care of the prostitute, you were once proselytes, you were then associating, hey, I was once like him or her. How would I want to be treated? That's where your empathy, your pity, your, 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 your pity is that the right word, but your empathy and, and, and your sympathy for the person comes from. That's where you're like, I, I know what that's like and I know the pain and the misery comes with it. I want to address that and switch your story around. But yes, Don. So I just, uh, you, you, uh, just a, a little bit ago, you had mentioned uh, a quote, and I think what you were quoting was, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yes, yes. I couldn't read the exact can, phrase, but yes. Can you uh, finish the thought on that? Well, okay. So, so like, like I mentioned at the time, is that when you're dealing with, well, let's, let's skip the term heart, because there, there was, there was the, 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 the heart, the soul, and then the Greek adds mind, and then your strength. In Judaism, referred to strength as what you actually do, what you produce, what your, what your final result is. And so, um, and, and that concept is, it's, it's the end result that matters. Uh, not necessarily, not, not to ignore the procedure, but the end result. So if, if you go through a good procedure and the end result is an utter destruction, your good procedure is worthless. Because your strength, your produce, what you made, was destruction. Well, it was worthless to, to everyone, anyone that is not useful to God. So in the case of when you deal with your, when you love God with your strength, it's very, what is you, what do you produce? What is your end result of whatever you were trying to work on to do? So for example, we have, uh, when Moses goes to the book of Exodus uh, and discuss about all the, and uh, yeah, most of Exodus, all the, the crafting, the creation of the, the, the ark and the, and the temple and the, and the furniture and, and such, it discusses a little bit on how it's made on a few components, but the vast majority of the topic is end result. What does it look like? How did it, what is it, what is it, what is the final product? That's where your strength is. Strength is your final product. When you love Lord with your strength, it is your end result. I may have spent 10 years working on something, thinking it was for God's benefit, and all fell apart and destroyed my, my face, not Figure, figure speed, not literally speaking, but figure blew up my face. It fell apart. My strength produced nothing good. So although I may love God, the strength I tried to use with it was not loving to him because the end result was disastrous and worthless. Now, I'm afraid it's not worthless to his measurement, not to mine. Uh, I would think it's great, but if he thinks it's worthless, guess what? It's worthless. <laughs> so, so it's his, his measurement tool, his measuring stick, not my measuring stick. So you're, when you do with loving God with your strength is what is your end result? What did you produce? That's what I said that the phrase of the road to hell is live with good intentions. Yeah, if that's the idea is that you, well, you, you tried really hard, but it all, all resulted in ultimate destruction of the good thing. It, it, it was disastrous, fell apart. Well, then though that road with the good intentions really aren't that useful in God's measurement. He measures your end result. What did you do? Again, actions are way with him, not your ideas or your intent. Not that those aren't valuable, but that's not how he measures it. It's your actions, the list. What did you do? 
Did you succeed? Did you quit? Did you fail someone for something that you failed to do correctly? Or you ignored some warning God gave you or somewhere along the road? That's just where that phrase, the, 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 the road to hell with good intentions, is that God measures the, the end. What did you make? Did it work? Did you do what I wanted you to do or not? Does that make sense? Hope it makes sense. That's what I'm trying to refer, refer to. It's the end result that's measured when you look at the Judaism and it says, love you up to strength. It's what did you make? What did you do with it? Did you make something valuable or make something destructive and worthless? Okay? Nice. I mean, when we're dealing with these different things, the, 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 your Torah discusses all these topics quite thoroughly. Whereas when Moses, what do you do? How do you teach your children? How do they raise them up? Those are end results. Those are, those are action components. Now, for example, so and he says, you will teach, talk about my words and you, when you, you rise up when you sit down. Well, those are action things, the things you actually are doing. And when you're, you raise your children, as God had pointed out to Abraham, that he loved Abraham. And in particular, one of the great characteristics Abraham had that God saw in him, that he would teach his children to follow accordingly. That was a great thing. That is an action. That is a strength that he'll be doing. So the end result from Abraham was, da-da, Isaac. So his actions, his strength produced Isaac. What did Isaac do? Follow God. Well done, Abraham. Your action, your strength succeeded. And then what, Isaac, what was his action strength? Now, he had some issues here with Esau, but the reality is his final product was both Esau and Jacob. So his actions, his strength produced the next generation of at least one of them <laughs> did well most of the time. <laughs> they had issues. There may be some other problems there I'm not going to address today. But the point is that his strength, what he produced, his actions, the rearing up process resulted in a good end product, which was his sons and their lives uh, with Esau with a few notable exceptions in his life. Then, of course, you have Jacob with his strength. Well, he, he, he reared, reared his children up along with his wives. And some did well. Some didn't do so well. Some had issues, some, some serious issues. Well, though Jacob may have tried, his end result where he's measured by. So, okay, Jacob, how well did you transfer? How well did you raise up your sons to follow my instructions as God noted that Abraham would do? These actions, these strengths are the end result that matters. It's not necessarily the whole process, not to ignore the process, but the whole process is not the, not the goal. The end result is the goal. Does that make sense? So we measure these things, measuring a Jewish concept, not necessarily the Greek concept of them. We're not discussing, you know, your spiritual soul floating around there in space with clouds and playing a, a fake harp. We're referring to soul is, is your, your ability to move and animate. So it's within a breath within inside you, how you project your own life, how you live your life to live. Your life is your soul, as well as, of course, your, 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 your efforts to actually do what God said you to do. There's a lot of different components of this, but they're all this in our Torah, hence, follow his instructions. And it goes out, if we're successful, fairly well. Unfortunately, as uh, Larry pointed out, it's too bad no one successfully did it, meaning no community successfully did it. Obviously, individuals may have different times in their lives, but it's too bad no community successfully did it. Because that would have been very fascinating to have watched, to have seen how it worked. Anyway, 
Uh, let's see one here. Uh, this is the jump down to verse 16. No. Oh, okay. So in, in chapter 11, we're still discussing this topic. We're almost finished with it. Uh, in this, uh, the second portion of, 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 our, of, of, the, of the chapter. This is, of course, the great virtues of the land you're going to. No, note or to point out, there are some distinct differences that this land has. Uh, he points out in verse 11 of chapter, chapter 11. The land you're going to, the promised land, is not as easy as the land you're coming, that you came from. That's an interesting concept. <laughs> the land you're going to is not as easy as where you came from. The way you came from, it points out, you watered your crops like you would a vegetable garden. You picked water up, you just poured it on it. Drought or no drought, not a problem, plenty of water. Just pick it up some more up and pour more on it. Your actions translated from your actions of picking water up translated into blessings of food. It's a pretty straight, you know, correlation. You water it, it grows, produces food, you eat it, replant water again. The land you're going to doesn't work that way. The promised land isn't that simple. The promised land has a different requirement. The requirement isn't you watering the land. It requires God to water the land. Ah, oh, well, it's easy, right? God does it. No, it's not that easy. <laughs> it's not that easy. How do you get God to water your crops? Because you can't do it. Well, now we have some more prerequisites, preconditions, requirements. <clears throat> Uh, as it points out, this is up to verse, uh, let's go back to verse 10. It says, For the land in which you come to possess it is not like the land of Egypt that you left, where you would plant your seed and water on foot like a vegetable garden. But the land in which you cross over to possess it, it is a land of mountains and valleys. From the rain of heaven, it drinks water. A land that Jehovah your God seeks out. The eyes of Jehovah your God are always upon it from the beginning of the year to the year's end. So if you want the blessings from this land, this promised land, it comes from God alone, not your own actions, not your own effort. You can't use a credit card, so to speak, to buy groceries this land. <laughs> you have to use your cash, debit card. You don't have a choice to matter. There's no credit card options. So in this case, you can't cheat it. Verse 13. It will be that if you listen to my commandments, I command you today to love Jehovah your God, to serve him with all your heart and all your soul. Then I shall provide rain for your land in its proper time, the earlier and the late rains, that you may gather in your grain, your wine, your oil. I'll provide grass to your field for your cattle, and you'll eat and you'll be satisfied. Beware for yourselves, lest, you, lest your heart be seduced, and you turn astray and serve gods and others and prostrate yourselves to them. That, of course, the wrath of Jehovah will be ablaze against you. He'll restrain the heaven so that we know rain, the ground which will not yield its produce. You'll be swiftly banished from the goodly land that Jehovah gives you. So what's the precondition to water this land? That's the promised land, the objective God wants you to live in. His precondition, 
Verse 13, it will be if you hearken to my commandments, I command you today to love Jehovah your God and serve with your heart and with all your soul. There's your precondition. So unlike in Egypt, where half the people probably didn't even know who their God was anymore, it had been a couple hundred years, they wouldn't remember him all that much. Yeah, there was different differences, but maybe the archaeology point out there's a lot of similarities between the Egyptians and the slaves. They, they didn't look a whole lot different in, in most ways. There were some differences, but not a lot. So uh, their, 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 their relationship with their God would be fairly limited, meaning reduced over time. So in this case, they're going to apply that, no, it doesn't work that way. You depend upon God, but your God has to be more intense, more real, more part of your life, your actions, your existence. If you don't, you don't get the crops. You don't get the grocery store credit cards. You, you, don't, you don't get to just all just, just water the land from the Nile. There's plenty of water there. Even in drought, there's water there. It doesn't work that way. In this land, it doesn't, it doesn't, you don't get those, those, those shortcuts. This is God's promised land, which means you are more dependent upon Him. More necessity upon His intervention in your life. Say, so oh dear, this is more work. Yeah, it is. It's not more work in growing the crop side. It's more work than actually the obedience side. The following side of Him. It's more work on your part, your personal life. You don't get to shortcut it. So it's important to remember that uh, blessings have their prerequisites preconditions, your requirements to receive blessings, but it's like money in your bank account on debit card. You have that money there. They have the blessings are that, but also uh, the conditions also is, is, is for the, the obedience to, to serve God is also for the same, not just the food blessings, but the actual success blessings, the land you're going to live to live in because those cursings come also. If you, if you fail to do so, uh, verse 16, beware for yourselves, be sharp, be seduced, you straight or straight other gods, oppress yourselves, then the wrath of the Lord will, will brace against you. He will restrain the heavens, there'll be no rain, no, and the ground will not yield its produce. This is verse 16 and 17. We swiftly banish the good land that God gives you. So if you fail to do it, not only will you not get a blessing, you'll actually receive a cursing instead. Bummer. <laughs> So I can't just forgo the blessing and survive. No, I don't get the survival option either. If I forgo following God's ordinances, even the survival isn't an option to me because I get banished. So I have to follow his instructions if there are blessings. If I reject his instructions, not only do I get the blessings, I actually get the cursing of being kicked out. I completely banned. Debtor's prison. <laughs> You're gone. You owe something. Uh, it, so you, you, you got... So, the, the, the condition of the blessings is not just to get blessings now. It's actually also just to maintain your existence is required also in this new promised land. Which think about that. So kingdom of God, you're there. Let's pretend you don't feel like following God's instructions anymore. How long are you going to stay there? Think about that for a minute. Let's see. I made it to kingdom of heaven. That's great. Now God, forget you. Huh. How do you think that will end? <laughs> Probably not well. I'm <laughs> just saying. Put it out there in a limb. I realize that maybe it's my opinion, but I don't think it will end well if you then choose to reject. So the blessings to get there is one quote, but you have to have to maintain it in order to keep it. So there, 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 there's association about that. Uh, yes, Larry, you have your hand raised up. Go ahead. That maybe satisfied that mystery about it. It says, 
a, a, a person who dies at 100 years will be accounted accursed. That's in the kingdom. Yeah. They're still, yeah, they're still in the kingdom. But they can still, they can still reject or still fall short and still fall flat on their face. You get kicked out, so to speak. So there's no point where you can say, well, I, because I received my promise from God, I now have, I'm in the kingdom of God. I'm great. Everything's wonderful. Everything's happy. Therefore, I no longer have to obey him anymore. I'm good. My work's done. Get my, get my hammock. <laughs> Kick back, relax. Peel my grapes. <laughs> I'm good. It doesn't work that way. It's a maintenance. There's a, always a continual thing. So what we work for now in this life, just wait to your next life. The work is far more intense. Now, maybe it's been a blessing because we don't require food anymore, but I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Hopefully that works well. But because we're, it's a continual requirement to maintain it. You have to keep it up. Alice points out, hey, the promised land, it'll kick you out too. So you can lose by saying, God forgets you, I'm done. Because, okay, I'm done too. Bye. <laughs> See you on the other side, or maybe not. Um, okay, so jump to a verse uh, 18. No. Uh, oh, all right. So, verse 18, the second portion of Shema here. You shall place these words of mine, this for all the instructions that Moses has given, and God. Uh, upon your heart, upon your soul, that you'll bind them as a sign with your arm and let your, be an ornament between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, discuss them while you sit on your home, while you walk in the way, while you retire, when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house, upon your gates, in order to prolong your days, the days of your children upon the land that Yehovah has sworn to your forefathers to give them, like the days of the heaven over the earth. How long is the heaven going to be over the earth? Trick question. How long is heaven over the earth? Really long time. <laughs> so if you want your days to last a really long time, guess what? You should bind them, put them in your heart and your, your mind. You should always think of them. And he instructs here, you should speak of them. So you're teaching them to your children. It before, you're, what, what, what Abraham did with Isaac, his strength produced Isaac. Well, here, here you're, what is your teach? What does your job do? Teach your children, discuss them while you sit in your home, while you walk on the way, when you retire, when you rise. Yeah, there's your strength. You will impart this information to your children who, as a final result, should, should, if you do a decent, halfway decent job, should raise up and impart the same thing to their children. So that's the idea as you continue on the process. Um, and you, of course, Moses reiterates again in verse 22. You will observe, he, he spoke, he started out this way in uh, chapter 7, when we started out in verse, uh, verse 11. You will observe this entire command that I command you to perform it, to love Jehovah your God, to walk in those ways, to cleave to him. Second repetition of cleaving to God, to attach yourself to him. So again, the whole thing is being observed. The whole thing is, 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 is a packaged deal. And I think it all comes with it. You can't just pick and choose or cherry pick. This, verse 21, I've skipped by accident. I apologize. So go back a little bit. Verse 21. The thing I want to mention there, which is important to, to note, this is not the only place this is, this, this, this is implied, but it's one of the many places it is implied. Um, verse 21 of 11, I apologize for skipping it by accident. It says, uh, in order to prolong your days, days your children upon the land that you have sworn to, have sworn to your forefathers to give them like the days, like the days of heaven over the earth, um, the phrase choice there 
is very important. It is not by accident that he didn't specify, he didn't say here that you have us swore to your to give to you. He says, for us to give to them. Now, you'll note that at this point in time, the book of Deuteronomy, um, Abraham is already dead. Uh, so is Isaac and so is Jacob. Matter of fact, so are all of Jacob's sons are dead too. So in this instance, this prophecy, this explanation, verse 21 of uh, chapter 11, in order for him to state this statement, you have sworn to your forefathers to give them. They will be required to be resurrected in order to receive that, that promise. So they cannot, you cannot use the phrase to give them if he swore it. He swore it. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and their sons, and Jacob's sons, will be required to be brought back to life in order to fulfill verse 21. Else, of course, God's a liar. And that's not the case. So, uh, and, and, and to fulfill it, not only that, to fulfill it, it's just like the days of heaven or the earth to resurrect them on a permanent basis. So that is a, one of the various places which God implies, both directly and indirectly in this case, um, that the, in order to fulfill that prophecy, verse 21, he, it will require the resurrection of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all Jacob's sons, anybody who received that promise from God. Uh, so they will all be required to be resurrected and on a permanent basis, not only some funky, temporary, weird thing. Um, anyway, so just to point out, I did not want to skip that. It's important to note that that is one of the various promises that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have to look forward to. They will be brought back on a permanent basis, and this will be their land, meaning they'll be in charge of it, so to speak. <laughs> he gave it to them. Uh, God's actually ultimately in charge, of course, but the, it, the point is it's given to them. So sorry. So I, I bet I didn't mean to skip that. So I apologize. Let's let's see what where we were at where we were headed toward. Uh, it says, uh, uh, yeah, yes. Yeah, so as far as the entire covenant, verse twenty-two. So as I mentioned before, the entire covenant is Moses started out in chapter eight. Or sorry, chapter seven, verse eleven. The entire covenant revenge today you should observe. Uh, this again, repetition. Time which every day you observe to perform it. This essentially concludes most of not to say all of it but most of the first two commandments in the Ten Commandments. So what entire commandment is he referring to? You could argue it is either referring to the entire book of Deuteronomy or is referring to at minimum the first two commandments on just this portion. Then, you know, the next day you'll discuss the rest of it, the next chapter, the next, next commandment to discuss. So your love of God your heart, mind, soul, all that components, and, 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 and speaking about him and of him and attaching your life to him, that's how we observe commandment number one and number two. Your, your attachment to him, you're speaking of him, your desire of him, you're cleaving to him, your, your attachment in both your, your soul, your, your, your animation, how you live, as well as, of course, your, what you do, and your desire for him. That is where your commandment number one, commandment number two, fall into place. Hopefully that makes sense. So when we ask ourselves, what does it mean to follow commitment number one? Well, it's our actions. He instructs us on how to follow commitment number one. It's how we treat the people, the poor, the fatherless, the widow, the proselyte. With our intensity, our heart, the intenseness in which we love him and desire him. And our soul, our animation, our ability to actively do something, to breathe, to live with our life. Does that make sense?
That's good number one. This is not commandment number two, or well, it is in part number two. It says, don't, don't worship the gods. Hey, you stop jumping. Um, to worship the gods, but it's not commandment number like, for example, for the Shabbat. It, it, those are separate commandments. Those are separate events, separate topics. This is in commandment number one. How does it commandment number one? Does that make sense? It's God's first commandment. This is the most important one. If you're going to judge them all and rank, rank them all, here, number one is the most important. It identifies and acknowledges who our God is. And then through our actions, we show our acknowledgement on who he is and how we treat other people and how we take care of his charge, the people who he takes care of, his decrees, his ordinances, his commandments. That is, that is how we show and observe commandment number one. So if I run across an individual, you run across an individual who, who is a little confused uh, whether the Ten Commandments are legitimate, we're supposed to follow me more, or just follow Jesus alone, blah, blah, blah. Okay, walk them back to the basic steps. Basic steps, commandment number one. How do you follow commandment number one? God instructed you, us, follow commandment number one. The justice for the, the widow, the orphan, Take care of the proselyte, take care of them, feed them, clothe them as, as it instructs who it wants there. Treat others the way you want to be treated, essentially, because he says you will want to proselyte too. Um, love him with intensity. Follow, you, follow your God by in, your intenseness with him, your heart, your intensity, and your life, your, your, your animation, your soul. What you, how, how you live your life, the procedure which you, which, you, which you go through existence is also attached to him. And you will speak of his commandments and instructions as we rise up, as we sit down, as we walk about, as we on our doorposts and our on our gate posts, and and it's it's attached to us. That's going number one. Number two, don't give credit to somebody else. Number <laughs> two, nobody else gets the credit for it. Just God. That's pretty simple. He actually says that. Hey, don't give the whole golden calf thing, and and don't fill up in your heart thinking, hey, I did all this great stuff. Give credit for myself. Don't think it's your own credit. Does that make sense? Any questions about these first two commandments? Any comments or issues? Or is something about it? I'm not going to go through the Hoftor portion today. It's a little lengthy. Yes, Larry, go ahead. I'm thinking that in order to fulfill these first two commandments, which are about our relationship with him, he's telling us to take care of everybody else. Pretty much. <laughs> That's how you show it. <laughs> That's how you're showing it. Again, God is a God of actions where actions are weighed, not of words. Not that words are meaning, meaningless, but our actions are where he weighs things. He weighs it by what we do. Because honestly, we can't take care of God. We can't clothe him or feed him. We can't give him justice. He's not an orphan. He's not a widow. We can't do those things to him. But we can do it to others. Well, we get some credit for trying, don't we, like we do with our children when they try and they don't quite make it uh, partial credit <laughs> yeah, that kind of works i guess sort of but ask ask the guy who makes the rocket ship well he got partial credit yeah he hit the sun by accident but he was partially right too bad we lost 15 guys but you know he almost had it just that close <laughs> yeah. yeah ask him that and see how he feels how he sleeps at night it was partial credit uh no i do realize there's compassion because we are human as he points out, you were once a proselyte, you were once a stranger, you were once that child. There's always the compassion there. And that's part of they treat others that way. Is that they don't, don't neglect it. I'm, I'm, I'm being tongue-in-cheek referring to the guy with the rocket ship. He missed the moon and hit the sun by accident. Uh, it, it, it's, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a joke. But the point is, if result matters, 
it's not that the, the, the sequence does not matter. The sequence of how you get there matters too, but not as valuable as the end result. Hope that makes sense. Uh, Daniel, you had your hand up. Yeah, I just had this odd thought that these first two commandments make the rest of them look easy. It does. <laughs> the, the majority of them are kind of black and white. I mean, here's the thing do, and here's the thing do not do. These, you have to find out what they mean yourself and how to do it. It's your, it's your relationship with God. Yeah, it's uh, what a challenge. <laughs> it is a challenge. It, it, the loving God is, is an intense life. It's what the Messiah said. All who has hang on these things. Yeah. Love you with your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbors yourself. These are everything hangs on them. And that's, that's how it works. If you were successful in doing successfully commitment number one, and number two by default, because you have to identify who, who you're in credit to, if you yeah. accept to do number one, you pretty much have followed them all. It's not that hard. The rest of it's really easy because they follow naturally. They just follow suit. If you succeed in number one, you, the rest of them follow suit in their order. And they become, they may detail certain circumstances, but reality is they, they, they follow suit. You're not going to sit there and say, I love God. Oh, I'll kill my brother. I love God. I'll kill my sister. It doesn't work that way. The, the, the only one, you're, okay, kids will. <laughs> but adults don't. <laughs> so yeah, the rest of them do follow suit. They become just, not trivial, but simple. Any questions or comments? All right, we're going to call it, call it quits then today. Oh, oh sorry, Larry, your, your hands up again. Go ahead. Oh, I was saying when, at one point you said something about uh, where this is noted in the New Testament, and I know most people miss it, but I f- found this thing in, in James 1. Verse 25 is really a beautiful encapsulation of the same idea. But one who looks intently on the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Yep. Yeah, James probably one of my favorite books. <laughs> because yeah, really. I, mentioned, I mentioned before, I am a very... Uh, simple person. I, 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 like, I like simple instructions. A, B, C, D, E, end result, F. Good. Okay. Or, I don't want to failing grade, but the, the end result is what I'm after. So I go step by step by step by step, step to get the final result. James is great at that. I love his book because of it. <laughs> See, this is how it works. That, 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 that end. Good. Okay. I can follow those. Uh, the, 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 the deep thinking type people, it's not who I am. And, you know, my dad is, and Jeff is, but I, I don't think that deep. <laughs> but so James, I love because I, he doesn't require me to think deep. <laughs> He's just required me to just tell me how it is. And I'm good. Uh, I love that book. Any other comments or questions? Well, one other thing was in Luke chapter 14, the parable that Yeshua told about um, building your life like a tower and setting out to plan what the cost is going to be because oh, if you right. don't plan for it or calculate the cost, you may leave it unbuilt. And then people, when they look at it, will ridicule you and say, well, you weren't able to bring it to completion and thus maybe ridicule the whole process of building a tower at all. There's um, uh, the way, yeah, you weigh your costs. Uh, when you are choosing, I, I, I forget exactly the context of that, I believe, if we're a little off there, 
was uh, along the lines of whether you, cho you choose to follow your Messiah or your God or not. Uh, you weigh the costs, you weigh which, what you're going to gain, what you're going to lose. Yes, um, and like in Luke 14, 25, where these loud, large crowds were going along with them, he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, and children, and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life cannot be my disciple. Right. And whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then goes on to talk about the illustration of the tower. Yeah. It, 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 it is, and if, if we try to uh, believe or attempt to follow our God's commandments, if we don't understand them, what they are, what they require of us, uh, shame on us. Measure what your God is. By what his instructions are. And say, do I want to follow this or not? Do I want these blessings or not? Do I want the risk of losing these blessings or receiving cursings by error or not? It's a bit of a gamble, so to speak. You have to actually be dedicated to this. You do have to make these decisions. These are intense, life-changing. As he says, as, as Moses pointed out multiple times, you'll do this all days, all your days, forever, your whole existence. It's a permanent thing. Uh, there isn't a, a hemming and hawing. Well, I'll take this weekend off. No sabbatical years, so to speak. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, it's a never ending cycle. Anyway, that's the idea. Any comments or questions? All right. Well, then, uh, for the question, we'll go into our, our we'll conclude the prayer. <clears throat> Almighty God, our great Heavenly Father, thank you. For your kindness, Father. We ask you will continue to help us to grow and be prosperous people to understand what is good in your eyes. But help us to listen. Listen to your words. Listen to your instructions, how you want us to live. Father, our lives are yours. We have dedicated them to you. We are stri striving our best to follow them, follow your way in the life you've given to us. To help us to follow it. It may not always be easy, and we know that you will incrementally help us along. You'll incrementally bless us. Father, do so according to your will. May your will be done, not our own. We trust you, Father, for it is in your heart and your mind to do good to us. May it be in our heart and mind to do good to one another and to you. We praise you and ask your blessing, Father. We glorify you in Yeshua's name. All me. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at Hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info. Hallel